Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Praise the Lord. Well, this morning I want to talk about the power within the blood of Jesus to atone. We started that series last uh, Sunday on the blood. The, there's power in the blood. And last week, we, we really just got an introduction to it. Um, it was really hard for me not to go further because uh, we were just scratching the surface last week. But we did talk about the pow- that there's power, the power of life is in the blood, right? And so this week, we're talking about the power to atone. Uh, atonement literally means to cover. And let's think about that for just a minute. To cover. When there's a tornado or tornadic activity in the atmosphere, those of us in town hear sirens, don't we? Well, we mostly do. We seek cover when that happens. We run for cover. We look for protection, a protective covering to hide ourselves from the destructive power of the storm. Atonement to cover. I think of... uh, a man that some of you may know, Rodney Clark, who recently made the news. He's from, he was from Winterset. He died in the last tornadoes that we had and that hit the Winterset area. He laid on top of his wife in the bathtub. He covered her to protect her, giving his life to save hers. Watching the news over the last few weeks, we've seen and heard videos of the air raid sirens going off in the Ukraine and the ensuing missile attacks People aren't crowding the streets during these times. They're taking cover, usually underground. Atonement means to cover. A man in a uh, restaurant went up to pay his bills, or bill, as he was leaving, when he realized he'd forgotten his wallet. And as the hostess and the man talked about how he was gonna leave and come back with the money, the man in line behind him said, there's no problem. I've got you covered, and he paid for the stranger's meal, asking nothing in return. Atonement, to cover. Are you hearing me this morning? To cover. I think of those in the military, or those who are in law enforcement, and you hear them say in the movies, I've got your six, meaning I'm covering your back. Atonement, to cover. I want you to understand what this means today. When you think about it biblically, my mind jumps to the three different arcs mentioned in the Bible. The Hebrew word for ark means literally box like a container. We all know about Noah's ark, right? Genesis 6.14 says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with compartments and cover it inside and out with pitch. Keep it from leaking water, right? Another ark you may not think of as an ark, but the same word is used, is the basket that Jacobed placed Moses in. Jacobed was Moses' mother. Exodus 2.3 says, but when she could no longer hide him, she got him a papyrus basket and covered it with tar and pitch. She covered it. Then she put the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then, of course, there's the Ark of the Covenant. This was the gold overlaid box. 
in which the tablets of the law given to God or given by God to Moses, they were kept there along with a jar of manna with Aaron, and uh, Aaron's rod that budded and produced fruit. This ark was covered with a large gold slab, as you can see. And it had two sculpted cherubim angels coming out from it. These cherubim faced one another with their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover. This cover was a cover over what was inside. It was a cover of the law. It covered the law, and it was referred to, the cover itself was referred to as the mercy seat. It's very important. Remember that. Are you all still with me this morning? Atonement to cover to make reparation for an offense or injury, to satisfy, to propitiate, to appease, to pacify, to pardon. The original Hebrew word is taken from the root word kafar, and it means to cover. That's where we get our word atonement. And this word is one of the most, as I've been saying, is one of the most important words you could ever make an effort to understand. The shed blood of Jesus has the power to cover. It has the power to atone. His shed blood is an atoning blood for those that would receive it. And why do we need his blood to be our atonement? Why do we need his blood to cover us? To truly understand this, we, we have to go back to the beginning. And I don't like giving you long history lessons, but you need to hear this so you can understand it this morning more fully than you maybe do now. I don't know if we can ever get to the end of the truth of this. But all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they sinned. You know that. And the Bible says that they felt shame. They had never felt shame up until they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were innocent up until then. After they ate, they were guilty, and they felt that guilt, so they tried to hide themselves from God and cover themselves with fig leaves. And I've got a comment on this. Why is that? Why is it that we as humans are always trying to cover ourselves? I've already tried a thousand ways, but it's never been enough. We just sang it. We try and cover ourselves with religion or through religion, through our own self-efforts of being good enough. Don't miss this. The fig leaves were Adam and Eve's effort to cover their sin problem. But notice, they were still hiding from God even though they had the fig leaves. It didn't work. They weren't in right relationship with him even though they had done what they had done with the fig leaves, covering themselves. Any human sourced effort to cover our sin nature will always fail. It will fail. God, of course, found them and made clothing out of animal skins for them. It covered their nakedness. It covered their shame. Blood had to be shed for those clothes to be made. The blood of animals sacrificed to make clothing, at least in part, atoned or covered their shame. Remember last week we talked about how life is within the blood. It's not the blood itself, blood carries life within it, and it's a profound mystery. And when God sacrificed animals and their blood to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness and shame, it is the first time that we see this idea of a life for a life. 
Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of the creatures in the blood. We, we used the scripture last week. And I stopped right there. I only gave you the first part of that verse. The rest of the verse says this, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement or covers for, for one's life. In order for people to remain in right standing with God, they had to shed blood. The blood of a lesser creature than themselves, and, I, and I, I'm sorry for those of you that are, are PETA people. Um, animals are a lesser creature than humans. The Bible declares we are his highest creation. That doesn't mean we should abuse animals. God's given us rule and dominion over them, and yes, uh, they are a lesser creature, but it doesn't, that means we need to be good stewards of them, right? Not, not talking about abusing them, but the blood of a lesser creature than themselves, than, than, than the people, had to be shed. The life of a clean animal, their blood and, their, and, the, and the life in their blood had to be sacrificed. But understand, it wasn't enough to bring them back to a place of total redemption. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden that God created for them. It was a paradise, it was a perfect place, but they were never allowed back in. Sin had now become a part of their nature. That's when sinful nature entered man, when they sinned. And every child born since then has been born with a sinful nature. And I could get into how I think that's different than a human nature. I'm not gonna do that this morning. If you wanna talk about that, it's a deeper conversation. It's fun to get into. And, and let's talk about that over breakfast in the bistro some morning, okay? But everyone's born with a, with a sinful nature from that point on. This propensity to sin. And the blood of the animals was only a temporary appeasement. It was only a temporary covering or atoning for their problem. And let's be clear, to understand why atonement is so important, you have to understand the holiness of God. God is more than just perfect. To say God is perfect is to imply that there is a standard that he perfectly lives up to. But I have news for you today. God doesn't perfectly live up to the standard. God is the standard. It goes beyond just him living up to perfection. He is perfection himself. His character defines what right is. His nature is our source of moral standard. His actions are always good. Everything he says and everything he does is the perfect plumb line by which we measure everything right and good and holy and just. It all comes from who he is, not just what he does, but who he is. The very essence of who he is defines righteousness. Humanity was kicked out of the garden. The sinful nature that was now born into them because of their choice to disobey separated them from the presence of God. It severed their relationship with him. And every person, as I said, born after that, those born of Adam and Eve, that includes us, were born with this sinful nature. Something had to be done if a relationship was going to be restored with God. If the communion and fellowship that was once enjoyed between God and humanity, if that was going to be restored, there would need to be an atonement made, a covering that would propitiate or atone for our sin issue that we all brought upon ourselves. 
I remember, as I was studying this, I was remembering Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has made mistakes. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us is guilty. We're all guilty. Isn't that true? Apologize for that. Hey, clinic, someone knows. <laughs> Something had to be done so the relationship could be restored. So let's fast forward from the Garden of Eden, past the time of Noah's flood, past Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 12 sons, his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, as you know. And let's move even past Joseph, one of those sons, who had saved all of his brothers from famine. All of you who are reading or have read through the Bible this year know that eventually the descendants of these brothers, these 12 brothers, the 12 sons of Israel or Jacob, became the Hebrew nation. They became enslaved by Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. And after 400 years of being in bondage, God heard their cries and Moses led them out of Egypt, right? We know these stories. Probably getting close to Easter, we'll see Charlton Heston's uh, The Ten Commandments movie. How many have ever seen that? Okay. And he led them through the wilderness after they left Egypt, the great exodus from Egypt. And he parted the Red Sea and he led them through the Red Sea on dry ground. And he took them to Mount Sinai and, and Moses himself went up the mountain and he received the law from God. This law, referred to as the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Law, has within it a never-ending number of details about how they, were going, how they were supposed to conduct themselves and how they were to bring blood sacrifices, blood sacrifices, to God when they sinned against that law. And again, this points to the idea of a life for a life. There were instructions about the priests and what they would wear and how their tabernacle was to be constructed. I mean detailed stuff. The color of thread, the height, the width, as well as who could do what with, within the tabernacle. God's instruction for worship included specifics on the furniture and, and that was to be used, and even the articles and utensils that were to be used in their worship. Everything had specifics. Everything had sizes attached to it. They had to do things absolutely perfectly. This is God we're talking about. He's the standard of perfection. He himself is perfection. Specifics on sacrifices that they were to make daily and yearly. Specifics on the kind of animal that was to be sacrificed, sometimes depending on the worshiper's financial situation. And then how that animal was to be sacrificed and what parts would be eaten or could be eaten and what parts, what parts had to be burnt. Everything was laid out with incredible detail. And as you read through some of that stuff in the Old Testament, it just gets almost, it gets laborious because you're like, holy cow. Man, they just had to walk the line in everything they did. Everything was laid out in incredible detail. All, and all of those details are in the Word of God, and they are all extremely 
important. They all point prophetically to other things. And I'm telling you, as I was studying this and I was reading through some of those things, I was like, I, I gotta share that, I gotta share that, I gotta share that, and I just don't have time to do it because we need to stay focused on the blood this morning. So we are talking about the time between the Israelites receiving the Mosaic Law on the Mount of Sinai and the time that they entered into the Promised Land. They spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Bible scholars believe up to 2.5 million people left Egypt and were following Moses. And I just, just stop for a second. Can you imagine the logistics of organizing 2.5 million people in the desert? Food had to be provided. Water had to be in great supply. They had animals and herds that had to be watered. The sin offerings of blood had to be incredibly gruesome. I mean, how do you deal with the sin offerings of 2.5 million people in the desert? where water's not in abundant supply. I, I, I know they dealt with it, and I really can't imagine it. What a bloody mess it had to be. It had to be. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, Hebrews is, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of the old covenant and what they dealt with. He says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this wasn't optional to them in the desert. They had to shed blood. They had to have animals, and, and everybody was a farmer back then, for the most part. These were tent dwellers, and they, had, they, they, they were nomadic, they wandered, and they all had livestock. Some had more than others. And they always had livestock ready to be sacrificed. It was like you just, you know how you pay your tithe, and you always just have it in church? When you come to church, you bring your tithe, and you, you, or you give it in the, in online, or however we do that now. That's how it was with their animals. They always had them. They were ready to go. But the bloody mess that had to be was just, had to be crazy. And this brings me to one of the most important days of the year within their religious and national calendar. It was the Day of Atonement. It was a day in the fall, specifically the 10th day of the seventh month. It was a solemn day that included a fast. The people were to be repentant and feel sorrow for the sins that they had committed. And the tabernacle was the center of their worship, and it, was, it is where the sacrifices were made. It was an elaborate, ornate, tent-like structure that was movable and had very specific areas, and you see the picture of it there. It had a gate and an outer court, as you see. Uh, it had borders around the area, and the, and the brazen altar, you see it right there, that big box as you first walk in the gate, and it had the, the bronze laver, which is closer to the, the tent of meeting there, the, the enclosed part. And the 12 tribes would camp around this tabernacle, camping within their own tribes and in the specific areas for their tribes. So God even had mapped out where all the people would camp out around this place in sections, organized, 2.5 million people bringing sin offerings. The Day of Atonement was one day. They made sin offerings daily, weekly offerings. They, they did this all year long, but the Day of Atonement was a special day. It was different than those other days. The first room in the tabernacle was the holy place. That first room, when you walk in, it was the holy place. 
It had specific furniture, and the priests would perform many of their priestly duties here. But then beyond that, there was a curtain or veil that created another smaller room in the back portion. This was the Holy of Holies, and this is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant that I showed you earlier, the Ark of the Covenant. A great question that comes up is that if the people were required to offer blood sacrifices for their own sins throughout the year, why was there a day of atonement, just one day, where the high priest would perform a special ceremony for the atonement and the blood sacrifices for all the people? It's a great question to ask because it would cover or atone all of the unknown sins that they'd committed. How many know sometimes you sin and you don't even know it? Well, that was true for the 2.5 million Israelites as well. They sinned and they didn't even know it. It would even cover the sins that they were not, that were not yet atoned for due to the Israelites' inability to follow the exact instructions for their sacrificial worship system. And I, I think about this, I thought about this a lot. We get to come in here and we get to worship, we get to sit where we want, we get to do what we want. We're kind of free just to sing or if we're not feeling good, we can sit. We can raise our hands, you don't have to, but you can. We have, a pretty, we have it pretty easy when it comes to our worship of God. We have padded chairs. We have heat and air conditioning. We have lighting and that, that sets things just right. We have nice sound systems. We got two new projectors that are a lot brighter and they're awesome. We kept having them go out. But we got nice stuff to worship with. They had animals that were killed and bleeding all over the place. And I, I just, I'm imagining the flies, the smell of 2.5 million people. I've been to a county fair and I know how it smells by the bathrooms <laughs> and by the barns. 2.5 million people in their herds. Can you imagine? Why would they need an extra day of atonement? Because it had to cover all the unknown sins and it had to cover everything that they forgot in that, in that busy, busy, busyness of, of, of all, the, all the instructions that they were given in the law. Nobody could live up to all of it. You'd forget or you'd mess up or you'd do something a little wrong. I, I, I wanna compare it to this because when I was a kid, and I've, I think I've shared this story before, I went to a liturgical church and we, we would go to confession, and we would, um, we would tell our, our, our sins to, a, to the priest who was behind the, a veil. And I remember when I was a young kid, it was, it was a really awkward thing. I, I remember he, him saying, go say 10 Hail Marys, and your sins will be absolved after I shared all my sins. And when I went out and I, I knelt down and I began to tell, I was probably nine or 10, began to uh, pray those Hail Marys out, I couldn't remember as I was going through trying to get to the number 10, I couldn't remember if I was on nine or if I was gonna hit 11. I, I, and if I didn't hit 10 exactly, I felt this overwhelming like thing that said, you're not gonna be forgiven if you don't hit 10 right on the money. Now that's ridiculous, right? But not to a nine, and, or, a nine or a 10 year old who has who been raised in religion. This was religion. It was the same kind of thing. If they messed up, you snooze, you lose. So this day of atonement was to make up for all of those moments. Everything was purified. 
Everything was covered. It was a day of wiping the slate clean and getting to start all over again. And by the way, Jews still celebrate this day today. They call it Yom Kippur. Leviticus 16.16 says this, He shall make atonement for the holy place. He's talking about the high priest here. The high priest shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their unlawful acts regarding all their sins, and he shall do so for the tent of meeting which remains with them in the midst of their impurities. And the entire chapter of Leviticus 16 lays out the duties of the high priest on the day of atonement, and you should read it. I'm not going to get into all those things. And, and, and follow the trail of blood. He had to offer a bull for himself and his household. He had to offer rams. There was bathing involved. There was changing of clothes involved, special clothing for this and different clothing for this. The, the day of atonement was, it was, it was amazing, the, 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 the pageantry of it all. And then there was the sprinkling of the blood upon the altar, upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm going to resist, again, my urge to get into all the details, but think about that. We have a covering over the Ark of the Covenant called the mercy seat, and blood is being sprinkled on that from sacrificial animals. The mercy seat was considered the throne of God. There was a part of the ceremony I do want to talk about, the part that included selecting two goats. The high priest would cast lots, and one goat would be designated for the sacrifice. He would become the blood sacrifice for the people. And the, and the other one would be designated the scapegoat. Ever heard that term, scapegoat? This is where it comes from. After the blood sacrifices were made, the high priest would place his hands on the head of the scapegoat, confess the sins of the people onto the goat, and then send the goat off into the wilderness. And the first goat was sacrificed. It was a life for a life. The life in the blood was sacrificed for the covering of the people's sins. The scapegoat carried the sins out of the camp and removed the guilt of those who repented forever. These are all fascinating facts, but they are more than that. Everything in their worship and ceremonies points to something greater that was coming. In Hebrews 10, one through three, it says this, for since the law has but a shadow, it's comparing the old law and now talking about Christ, for since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, all that blood that was shed, and it was a mess of it, a ton of it, gallons, I think I read that one bull has between 10 and 12 gallons of blood in it. All of that blood offered every year could never make perfect those who are trying to draw near to God in relationship. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered or ceased to be offered, talking about the sacrifices? If it would have got them there, if it would have appeased and truly atoned, covered their sin, and made them in right standing with God, wouldn't those sacrifices have ceased, it says? They would have stopped offering them, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, 
There's a reminder of sins every year. And so in that old covenant law, they would sacrifice animals daily. They would sacrifice them weekly, monthly. I mean, they would would do sin sacrifices randomly. And then they had this day of atonement once a year. It was a solemn day, as I said, and it reminded them that they were imperfect. They were imperfect. They were imperfect. They were imperfect. They weren't righteous. They weren't good enough. And I think about that in the church today because we have the same thing going on in so many people. Even though we live under the new covenant, and we're going to get to that in a second, we, we live under the old covenant in our minds and in our hearts because we say things, we listen to things, that, that voice in our head that says, you're not good enough. You can't be redeemed. You're too far gone. There's power in the shed blood of Jesus to atone once and for all. So all of that blood that never did anything, it didn't do enough. It could never be enough, as we just sang. Jesus' blood did it once and for all. Like the animal sacrifice to make garments for Adam and Eve's covering, the sacrificing of animal blood in the life for a life concept was only a temporary fix. They, they started talking to God again. They entered into a somewhat relationship with him again after their nakedness was covered, but they never got to be in the garden again. It wasn't completely restored. Animal blood can't do that. Hebrews 10.4 says this, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Then the writer of Hebrews quotes Jesus in verse five. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Jesus was talking to God here. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure, God. Then I said, and this is Jesus speaking, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Verse 8 says this, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. That's what we were talking about. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Talking about covenants there. He did away with the first covenant to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. No more do we have to go through all of that religiosity. No more do we have to sacrifice animal blood every time we mess up. A once for all time, sacrifice was made for all people who would receive it as their sacrifice, as their atonement for their sin. A one-time sacrifice was made when Jesus hung on that cross, and he fully atoned. He covered you completely. That's why we say things like, cover me with your blood, Jesus. And somebody who doesn't know what that means might say, well, that's gross. It's not gross. It's atonement. The ultimate blood atonement has been made. Again, the once and for all sacrifice. Jesus shed his blood from his brow as the crown of thorns was pushed onto his head. Those thorns pierced his scalp and blood ran down his face. His body was literally ripped to shreds when he suffered the whipping post. 
His wrists and feet gushed blood as they drove the spikes through his flesh to nail him to the cross. When they dropped the cross in the hole they had dug for it, I can only imagine the pain and blood that came from his wounds as his body had absorbed the shock of the cross hitting the bottom of the hole. And then they pierced his side with a spear. Blood, atoning blood flowed for all of humanity, atoning blood for you and for me. That blood is our covering, church. It covers our sin. It appeases our guilt. When we experience the overwhelming power of of that for the first time, when we first come to Christ with repentant hearts, we we sense that. But but I I have to say this today. It continues to appease our guilt when we mess up. And we all mess up. Coming to Christ does not make you perfect. Coming to Christ and receiving his blood allows God to see you as perfect. Does that make sense? Because you're covered in his blood. That's what he sees. He no longer sees your sin. We cover ourselves with his blood. Again, to someone who doesn't understand that, it's, it's gross, but for those of us who do under, that do understand it, we know that it's our life. It's our life. His blood covers us. You're guilty of sin, right? In the natural, yes, but as far as God is concerned, you have no guilt. I'm sorry, you got to get a hold of this. If you have received Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for you, when God sees you, you're innocent. I mean, let that sink in. I mean, in the natural, we know we're not innocent. But spiritually speaking, because of the blood, you're innocent. How can that be? I know what goes on in here for me. You know what goes on in here for you, our thoughts. We know what we do when no one else is looking. We know those little, maybe, lies we, we, we say, and maybe we don't even know we're lying. Sometimes I think we do things, and, 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 and then later it might be revealed to us, hey, you know, you, you really said it that way to make yourself look good, and you exaggerated, and that was a lie. We do all these little things, and they seem like simple things, but they're sin. They're part of our sinful nature. But here's the deal. When you accept Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, and you receive what he did on the cross as a substitution for what you deserve, God sees you as innocent. That's unbelievable. That is the good news of the gospel. He sees you as pure. And of course, if we mess up and it's revealed to us, we need to confess that to our Father and 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 he's faithful and just to forgive us. The Word says that, but understand something. He sees you as innocent. I'm not talking about a temporary fix that appeases for a moment but is powerless to take away sins. I'm not talking about a fig leaf religion here or a fig leaf human effort to cover ourselves 
It never works. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus, the atoning blood, the covering blood of Jesus. Our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. They have been covered by his precious blood once and for all. He has become our perfect sacrifice. He's covered our expensive sin bill. Some of you have more expensive sin bills than others. No, that's not really true. Sin is sin, right? It all keeps you out of heaven. He's covered our expensive sin bill. He's paid our debt. We can enjoy his atonement, his covering for our lives. And how does this relate to us further? If you continually find yourself striving to be good enough, you can stop. Jesus loves you. He says, come as you are with all of your sin and burden and shame, and I will give you rest. You don't have to earn your way with God. There's nothing you can do that would add to what he's already done for you. No matter how sin-stained your life is, he's got you covered because there's power in his blood to atone. If you received him, you stand forgiven. You're set free from guilt because of his blood. It was not only our, he was not only our blood sacrifice, he became our scapegoat. Those two goats represented Jesus. One died for your sin and one removed it. The guilt of those sins are gone. No matter how far away from God you feel like you've run, he's got you covered because the relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden has been fully restored through his atoning blood. You can have communion with him. You can have fellowship with him. You can be in his presence anytime you want because what he did on the cross. And there's even better news. The blood doesn't only atone for what you have done. It atones for what others have done for you or to you. And I don't know if I talk about this enough, and if I don't, I apologize. I'm not a person who's easily offended by others, so I don't always think this way. But some people, uh, and, and, and honestly, it's not just that. It's just I've not had a lot of people hurt me in my life. Surely hurt me. Oh, well, there's always been, a, there's a few, you know. But I haven't had that. Some of you have been hurt continually your whole life by others. The blood doesn't just atone for what you've done, it atones for what others have done to you. If people have abused you, if they've hated on you, if they've thrown you under the bus, if they kicked you while you were down, spread all sorts of rhetoric, hateful rhetoric about you, he's got you covered because his blood not only atones for your sin, but it atones for the effects that other people's sin has had on you. And that will set you free, folks. I can say this with complete confidence today because the shed blood of Jesus is so powerful. It not only covers and atones for sin, it covers and atones for the effects of sin in our lives. And his atonement means he's got your six, he's got your back, he's covered us with protection. When, when, when you accept his blood as your atonement, it's like you've run for cover from the storms of this life. You are in the most secure bomb shelter you could ever be in. His blood. Worship team, would you come up? His blood has covered you. It's got you covered. Yeah, come on up, worship team. It's got you covered. I want you to close your eyes for just a second. And I want to ask you, to just let God search your heart 
And I'm gonna ask you this question. What holds you back from the fullness of what God wants to do in your life? Because I think if I asked everybody in here the question, are you living in the fullness of God? I don't know if very many people would say they are. I would think most people would be like, yeah, you know, maybe, or no, I know I'm not, because I, I struggle all the time. I, I want you to understand something. and just, just have your eyes closed so you're not distracted by anything. Just think about this. What is getting in the way of you and the fullness of God in your life? I think this. I think it's a misunderstanding, or at least a lack of understanding, of the power of the blood to atone and cover you. We spend so much more time beating ourselves up than we do praying and enjoying his presence. We spend more time convincing ourselves that we're not good enough. When he says, one drop of my blood makes you pure and holy and righteous and innocent. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters who you know. You receive that blood into your life, that atoning blood, that covering blood, how can you not live in his fullness? It's not a guilt trip today. I just want you to be aware. He's got your six. He's got you covered. Do you know how many sleepless nights I've had? I wonder how many sleepless nights you've all had worrying about this or that or the other. What this person did to you or what this person thinks or what this person said and how you're gonna combat that or how you're gonna strategize to make sure that you end up on top. Guess what? God's got your back. Go to sleep. He's atoned. He's atoned for you. His blood is your covering. And we're going to sing about the blood right now. And I want you to stand up, and I want you to lift your hands, and I want you to sing the words of these songs with understanding this morning. And if you want to come down front, you can certainly come down front. Meet with God. I think there's something about coming to the front. Altars, we call this an altar space. There's something about coming down to the altar. It's an act of faith. If you need to just have a revelation of what it means for his blood to atone and cover you, then certainly come down and God will meet you right where you're at. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sing about his blood. Hallelujah. What can wash away the guilty stain? After all the wrong I've done, I've already tried a thousand ways, but it's never.
blood, oh God. We thank you for your blood. We thank you that it atones and it covers our sin. We thank you, God, that we don't live under the old covenant anymore. We know that the blood of bulls and goats and rams can't forgive sin, but one drop of your blood has set us completely free forever. We thank you for that new covenant in your blood. God, I pray every time we struggle this week in our thoughts and our actions, in our words and our deeds, God, I, I pray that you would remind us that your blood has covered us and that we can walk in innocence because of that blood. No matter what people say, no matter what happens to us, God, we can walk under your covering. Lord Jesus, change us, mold us, make us. We want to be your people. We want to be in that right relationship with you, walking step for step with you, never leaving your presence. We love you today and we give you ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.